What are you doing? Stuck in sets. Hi y'all, welcome to Winchell Time. It is Day and Airy. How are you doing? Today is Wednesday, August 26th, and it's about 10.30 p.m., show number 103. And this is COVID-19 pandemic show number 23. So that means 23 weeks that we've been in quarantine pandemic situation. And anyway. for those of you that are joining in, Windshield Time is a podcast and a YouTube show that teaches people about money and Bitcoin. So we're here to make it simple, break it down, make it really educational and fun formational for you. Awesome. All right, so this is gonna be another experimental show. As a preview, we're gonna play the interview with Mark Mueller-Eberstein. Yes, Mr. Mark Mueller-Eberstein. He's an author, he's an, I think, ex-engineer, investor. Investor, connector, teacher. So I got that from his Twitter, Twitter profile. Oh, great, even yes. better. And his Twitter profile is at Mark M. Eberstein. It should show up somewhere right around here. <laughs> uh, I am Luggage Donkey on Twitter. Thanks again for joining us. And I'm Ari in Seattle. Yeah. Okay, we don't give financial advice, uh, but we'd like to do a little bit called Satoshi Math. Hey, so what's the price of Bitcoin night? So it's at approximately $11,400. Mm, holding. And then uh, we're trying to make this super crazy fast. So when you do the math, you get... <laughs> Just do it. All right. So <laughs> Satoshi Math helps you figure out the number of Satoshis that are in $1. Remember, there are 100 pennies in every one US dollar. There are 100 million Satoshis in every one Bitcoin. So to figure out the number of Satoshis that are in the number in $1, you take $1 and you divide it by 0 0.00011400 and you get, drum roll, Approximately 8,800 sats per dirty US fiat dollar. There you go. That's how you figure out the number of Satoshis in every one dollar. The other little bit of interesting news is that tomorrow morning, Fed Chair uh, Jay Powell, Jerome Powell, is going to be testifying um, on regarding new monetary-ish, policy-ish kind of stuff going on. So mm. everybody is paying attention to that because mm. he's going to be addressing the whole inflation we haven't been having enough inflation issue, inflation issue. So uh, that's gonna that, that should move the markets uh, a lot. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what time is it at? So it's around 6 a.m. Pacific. Yeah, so 9 a.m. on the West Coast. So by the time we wake up, then it'll, it'll all be, be playing we'll out. know what's going on. Yeah. Oh my goodness. All right, cool. Just to make sure we don't give financial advice, but yeah, we do talk about uh, money and Bitcoin a lot on this show. Um, and so just to dive into a little bit of uh, our normal stuff. So I'm wearing a Bitcoin t-shirt and it's from Bitcoin Magazine. I think the logo, oh, logo's right there, Bitcoin Magazine. And I do have a special hat on too, but I don't, I don't really feel like calling it out. And uh, we have kind of a terrible lighting situation here, but just making do with what we have. And uh, just a quick, how are you doing? Great. Our child care solution has arrived and it's getting it's much better than before. It's very nice. Yes, yes it is. Yes. Yes, it nanny. is. We have a nanny now. <laughs> uh, all right. So Mark Mueller-Eberstein again, a friend of the podcast, 
friend in real life, uh, world traveler, author, investor, connector, teacher, great Twitter feed. Good guy. And good dude. Yes, exactly. And so the experiment that we're running is that this show that we're about to play, the podcast recording, is from February 27th. And basically, I'm going to shove that into a YouTube show. <laughs> so I'm going to take the audio feed, make a YouTube show, and then rip the audio and publish that as a podcast. Mm -hmm. So going all the way around circle just to end up as a podcast again anyway. And we'll have some nice pretty pictures to show of Mark yeah. or something like yeah. that. We'll I'm going to do a slideshow inside the video feed. But that's that's all we have. So um, I don't know. It could be called a slow news week. But I mean, Bitcoin's still hanging out well above $10,000 uh, per Bitcoin. You know, and that always feels nice. And uh, summer's coming to an end. September, Labor Day is coming up. Time for some barbecue. Summer's coming to an end here real soon, end of August, and we're going to hit Labor Day. And so uh, thanks again for joining us on Winchell Time. Stay tuned for the Mark Mueller-Eberstein interview from February 27th. Thank you for the time. Thank you to the WTIA for the continued sponsorship. Yes, thank you to the WTIA, and thank you for being with us. Thank you for spending your last... Thank you for spending time with us. Um, we wouldn't be here without you and we really appreciate any um, feedback you can send to us. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Together we rise. Be nice, y'all. Bye. Bye. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs>
great. The autopilot is really great as long as you don't forget that the car tries to kill you from time to time. So you need to stay vigilant. <laughs> so with that in mind, mm-hmm. I have a Tesla X mm-hmm. uh, for a little bit over two years now. Mm-hmm. And growing up in Germany, I am a car guy. So one of my first jobs was actually working at Daimler-Benz in the global headquarter for spare part marketing. Oh. That's how I started. So cars were something that is oh, nearly genetic. Um, And um, I could never imagine to not drive a BMW or Mercedes on Audi until I really had this Tesla. And I've been very, very pleasantly surprised. I mean, of course, there's tons of things I could complain about, Mm -hmm. but um, it's becoming super clear that um, for reliable transportation, um, Mm -hmm. electric vehicles are just so much easier. You plug them in and they just work. Reminds me, like when I was working at Microsoft, uh, the Microsoft Windows phones were extremely powerful, but you needed to understand exactly what kind of WAP protocol you had so you can connect it to Wi-Fi. And uh, the moment, and we had lots and lots of conversations, years over these phones until I had an iPhone and it just worked and I didn't have to talk (laughs) about a cell phone anymore. So it's (laughs) like with the Tesla, it just drives, you unplug it in the morning, you drive it all day and um, the autopilot... Um, yeah, partly I selected it because I was spending a lot of time traveling worldwide and was using like ride-sharing applications a lot. Mm-hmm. So it was very easy to sit in a car, to have somebody drive you. It's quite relaxing, especially yeah. like in city traffic. So when I ordered the Tesla, I ordered it with autopilot. Mm-hmm. And to switch it on is basically like on the left hand of your steering column, you have like this little thing how you switch on maybe cruise control, but mm-hmm. it's automatically switching on distance, staying in the lane, and then depending how you configured it, it's auto- like staying in the faster lane, picking the faster lane, doing all of these things automatic. And it's really starting to be very, very relaxing, partly yeah. because people don't cut in front of you anymore. They just cut in front of the autopilot and the autopilot accelerates or, or decelerates accordingly. And it's a much, much more stress-free driving than yeah. it was before. Yeah. So do you like read a Book while driving. <laughs> or I mean, do you like, tweet? what? What? What do you like? Aren't you? Like, of course, how, absolutely not. That wouldn't be legal. So you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you just sit there and it drives you. Yeah, it's you look outside. You make sure you, you still have the the steering wheel needs to feel that you are actually touching it. Mm-hmm. So it's so, uh, that, yeah. so there's a, some kind of mechanism built in that makes sure like if you haven't held the steering wheel hard enough, then it reminds you with the blinking light and says, "Hey, remember you need to actually pay attention." Mm. But um, it's oh. it's mostly the car driving itself, and you're have more attention to spend on windshield podcast, for example. <laughs> So then the car automatically knows where to go to. So you put in like mm-hmm. the destination and the car figures out the route and yeah. drives you semi-safely there with yeah. your semi-safely. basic attention alerts going off every once in a while. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you basically, when I came today, I actually had your address was on the calendar invite uh-huh. and my phone is syncing to the Tesla. Uh-huh. So the car actually already knew where it needed to go. So I just needed to confirm it. Oh, wow. awesome. And then the navigation system takes uh, shows up and then the moment you hit the highway, um, the car drives itself from on-ramp to off-ramp. And then you're looking out the window and admiring the beautiful views we have here in the Pacific Northwest. As far as it is legal, yes, I do that. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then, let's see here. So um, is it a... I believe they they passed a law to where you can't have a mechanically disengaged um, like front 
uh, steering any longer. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be mechanically connected because I think for a while it was disconnected and it was causing issues. Of course, if you don't have power, and then it's just electronic steering, mm-hmm. then you can't like move the car around, which cause you know issues, safety issues. I think the most cars, modern cars today, are um, of steering by wire or fly by wire. They're mm. not they're not mechanically connected anymore. Oh really? Huh. Mm. So but then. Um, like if you try to uh, move the steering wheel mm-hmm. on autopilot, mm-hmm. what happens? Oh, it just I take over right away. So oh, if I really? if oh, I really? decide to move the steering wheel, I'm in control. If I brake, I'm in control. If I accelerate, I'm in control as well. Oh, okay. Oh. So it's, oh yeah. It's so like it's like an advanced control. form of cruise control. Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, interesting. Oh. Very very cool. Yeah, to this date, I have yet to experience autopilot in a uh, Tesla, and so I'm extremely curious about it. Maybe we can do it sometime in the next week or a so. Field trip without the children. No children. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time, and so I happen to be following a bunch of car, car culture stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of Tesla stuff. Yeah. And uh, they post a lot of videos, a lot of photos. It's extremely rabid mm-hmm. culture, you know, mm-hmm. the Tesla crowd, just like the Bitcoin and mm-hmm. the crypto crowd. <laughs> <laughs> so Maybe that's well. why it feels so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, did you have something uh, you wanted to start off on, or um, I mean, I got some. I don't stuff. know. So the last uh, you were listening to the podcast episode around pathwise leadership on the way here, so maybe we can start with that. Oh yeah, great idea. So Mark Mueller Eberstein, you went through pathwise as well. What was your experience, and how did you find out about it? Oh, that's a long story. I think that's far <laughs> probably uh, the whole story is probably longer than the whole episode here. But um, <laughs> I left Microsoft in 2010 and founded a consulting business trying to figure out what to do and what to focus on. And um, I had a a mentor of mine uh, ask me to meet with somebody who had just similar situation, like uh, trying to figure out what to do with his life. So I met him and um, tried to coach him. But he asked so many really good questions that I felt I got more out of it than I was giving back. So I said, hey, this was a great conversation. How do you know? I said, well, I have joined this class called Pathwise, Pathwise Leadership. And that's where we are basically suspending attention and figuring out what's happening with the other person. So that sounds exciting. And um, then um, he also explained that a lot of top executives are part of it. And hey, I needed to be part of that and as well. So that really was the sales argument, I think, that uh, made me meet uh, uh, Chet first. Okay. And uh, I joined the group and found it, yeah, the longer I, the more I learned, the more I learned about myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the more helpful I found it in not only professionally, but in all kinds of relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's been a running theme. It's not just the professional, and that's kind of like the uh, the in, mm-hmm. um, but then in all aspects of your awake time, uh, it's it's been a massive help to me, you mm. know, in the journey with Pathwise here, you know, with and, with Harry. <laughs> and it's interesting if you have this, if you realize you meet somebody and you have this shared experience and vocabulary that Pathwise brings, it's much easier to have difficult conversations that you otherwise probably would avoid mm-hmm. and yeah. um, work through issues that I would say without Pathwise, you might have not even been aware of the issues, but by both knowing that you have a similar understanding, similar vocabulary, you can bring it up, you can 
talk relatively open about it and then uh, put it behind you and yeah, move productively yeah. forward. Mm-hmm, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. So then what was the... Uh, are we closing this out now? This, this Okay. Well, so then um, Pathwise, you, you said a moment ago that if it were not for Pathwise, you may not have come across blockchain or Bitcoin. Uh, what was the, what's the story behind that? That's interesting. It was really on my drive here when I was listening to your podcast that uh, I thought, well, we're doing a Bitcoin and blockchain podcast, and I was listening to the Pathwise uh, episode. So I was thinking, well, what would have happened um, if I wouldn't have taken this class and... I mean, I'm a, I live, I worked in the corporate world for most of my career until about 10 years ago. And um, I think through Pathwise, I realized that I should yeah, listen more to myself and spend more time on things that are interesting to me instead of impressing others. So, so most of my career was very at the cutting edge of technology, but usually far too early. I tried to like, but I was a product manager for PCs in Germany in the mid '90s, and I connected a tiny little computer to a Nokia phone and told people you can do internet while you're mobile. And people would say, "A, why would I need internet? And B, why would I do it mobile?" So, um, through most of my my career, I was like at this. I saw these things, but I couldn't really do anything about it. And uh, then in the earlier part of the 10s, like 2011, 2012, I had followed this Bitcoin thing. I was always interested in economics and um, business application of technology. And uh, when the opportunity arise that uh, I could actually take time off and spend some research time on this new blockchain type, I said, oh, I organized it. I took left my other businesses on autopilot and uh, went to use a research institute in Shenzhen at that time that was and figured out what this blockchain thing is about. And um, similar thing, I had always liked startups and entrepreneurs. So I had joined angel groups um, about the same time and then applying the best practices of angel investment into the blockchain space. You saw projects at the right teams that at the right thing that most probably had a lot more likelihood of success. Um, being part of the ecosystems, talking to people that are much smarter than me and had the patience of explaining it to me so until I finally <laughs> got it. Um, yeah, you start investing in those spaces as well. Outstanding. Outstanding. So um, w- would you be interested in char- sharing your, I guess, uh, like first year, like first exposure to Bitcoin specifically? Uh, yeah, I love to. I actually wrote about it in my in in the book. I wrote about blockchain in two thousand eighteen. Oh yeah, um, yeah. that's uh, and uh, the trust technology, and it was uh, written for written for my traditional investor friends that did not know about blockchain. So how did I get started? I had followed this Bitcoin thing for a while and this blockchain and trying to figure out what it is, and then. Um, I was invited to do a closing keynote at the Chinese Cloud Computing Congress in Beijing, like small event, like 10,000 people or something. So, um, (laughs) and apparently I did, I talked about how important the cloud is for unlocking technology capabilities for companies. But um, afterwards I got approached and said, well, we have this new research institute in Shenzhen that has, and we're trying to figure, we're looking for um, researchers who have interesting questions. So we can work with them in figuring out what does it mean. And I said, well, I've always, I've visited China many times. I've never really lived there. So this is a time for like an, as an expat for a couple of months to basically get a different life experience. And that's exactly why I said, well, why not? So we organized it accordingly. I went down there 
And um, I was really coming more with the approach of blockchain, not Bitcoin at that time, which wasn't really cool. <laughs> not It became like the cool thing for enterprises a couple of years later. Right. But um, the Belt and Road Initiative in China just started, and they could they started to see how much what they could do with um, tax um, uh, customs, for example, and optimizing international goods transfers and collaboration. And I found it quite interesting. So I started to look into this. But living in Shenzhen, um, I realized relatively quickly that it's also the technology capital, basically worldwide. Of everything is getting built there, from drones to uh, iPhones. Um, but also a lot of the Bitcoin mining hardware was done there. A lot mm -hmm. of the development was done there. Tencent, the company that is doing um, uh, WeChat, yeah. also has a blockchain practice. It's getting their Chinese banks on blockchain infrastructure. They have their own consulting practice. So I met all of these people that were already focusing on it. And they introduced me to other folks that were basically telling me that the People Bank of China was already working on uh, cryptocurrencies in 2015. Oh, wow. So there was at least three projects going on at that time. So it was really, really interesting. And uh, a couple of them were, you today you would call them Bitcoin maximalists. So yeah. they explained to me why Bitcoin is really important. And then uh, yeah, how the world sometimes comes together. I was in Beijing uh, to have lunch with an old Microsoft friend, the former general counsel of Microsoft China, David Benkei. And uh, I tried to explain to him over Italian lunch at the art district of Beijing mm -hmm. um, why Bitcoin is really interesting. And he said, yeah, Bitcoin is cool, but have you heard about smart contracts? Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the <laughs> heck is that? <laughs> so um, he told me that um, he, uh, he had left Microsoft. And as an attorney, he was just helping this Canadian-Russian kid to put a foundation together in Switzerland called <laughs> the Ethereum Foundation. Oh, my God. Oh, man. So, um, yeah. <laughs> that's how that's how I started to look into Ethereum. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, did you participate in the Ethereum ICO? Uh, I was too late for the ICO. Oh, but, man. Um, as I said, as, a, as an angel investor, you write little checks for things you believe in. Mm -hmm. So... We did okay. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> Good time to get in. Yeah. And um, a couple of years forward, that's why um, I, you try, what I like to do is I try to give back. I like to connect people. I like to see what's possible. Um, I did a blockchain event in California, in Santa Clara for enterprises and helped moderating it. Um, and afterwards, somebody came to me and said, hey, this was great. Um, have you ever been in Davos? <laughs> and I'm, I said, yes. I think we drove by there one time when I was a child in Switzerland for skiing. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, no. During the World Economic Forum. I said, well, that's interesting. No, not yet. So they asked me to show up and see if I can help with some of the side events that are happening there. So my first reaction was, well, maybe why not? So I have a good friend of mine. We are working in the blockchain space together. He's also here from, from Seattle. And we share a lot of the investment due diligence together. So I asked, we had lunch and I said, hey, Al, what do you think? And he said, hey, that sounds like fun. Let's go together. So we figured <laughs> out, I said, well, instead of, uh, <laughs> let's make this more like a camping trip. And um, after I figured out the basics, I reached out to David Benkei again. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, David, you helped me to understand what Ethereum is. Can I give back and take you with us to Davos. Seems to be fun. We're going to have a <laughs> Airbnb and uh, spend some time there. And he likes, like, uh, Mark, Davos in the winter, it's cold. I like to live in the tropics now. Um, not really. But 
there's a couple of really smart young people building cool things. You remember this Vitalik guy in the Ethereum? There's some other cool people. Can you take them? And I said, well, if you say they're cool people, why not? Um, and uh, yeah, I took the two founders, uh, Danny and Zach, from that became now Pundi X. So we mm. went together three and a half years ago mm. and um, they built a really, I think they're now 28 countries. Um, but wow. at that time, it was two guys trying with a dream of trying to build something. So, wow. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got a rich history there. <laughs> <laughs> I only started in uh, I only started in late 2015. Yeah. So yeah, yeah mm -hmm. I, I still feel like I'm, you know, very very new and still learning. You know, every day. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. Huh. Oh, that's I mean that's for sure. That's the one thing. Right. When somebody introduces themselves or even me as a Bitcoin, sorry, a blockchain expert, where I get like the shivers. I'm like, this oh, is yeah, no, no, exactly. no, 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 yeah. no. I'll do this for long enough. And I know so many smart people and we are all learning. There's so much happening. I've never seen anything yeah. Things moving are changing this quickly. Too, like Absolutely. week after week, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's no. so different. I feel like if I'm not learning 24 hours a day, I'm not even having a chance to stay on top of things. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah. Hey, so yeah. let's, uh, okay. So you're on Twitter and you're uh, at Mark M. Eberstein, mm -hmm. and so um, on your profile you have connector, investor, teacher, business impact of information technology, inf uh, Internet of Things, cloud, blockchain, DeLorean, Alliance Angels, and a TEDx that you did, uh, I guess, locally here. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that was that was a terrific little talk that you gave. Um, so let's pick one of these. <laughs> oh, I love them all. I know DeLorean. Are we going oh, back yeah. to the future? Oh, <laughs> I wish. I mean, we always wish we invested more, right? And the things that worked out and less in the things that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah um, That's a legendary car to car fanatics. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so you have an interest in it. And then I'm assuming you have one. I do. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, what, 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 uh, uh, what makes you so fascinated about DeLorean? Uh, as I said earlier, I think the cars apparently have something going on. And I always liked the car. I liked, liked uh, the movies. I liked this concept of figuring out how time works and physics in general. Um, and uh, the DeLorean DMC 12 is, is a very classic car. I mean, it's mm -hmm. the iconic, the, the wing doors that go open, the movie Back to the Future. I mean, probably a lot of people have seen it there. Oh, yeah. Um, but same thing, a friend of mine had a startup here in the <laughs> Seattle area and very smart marketing guy as well. Uh, he realized that I think it was uh, uh, for the for the celebration for the Back to the Future came up like uh, the year I think they traveled in, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So, and he had a hacker, as a hacker community. He built uh, hexta.io. Hexta and um, so they bought one on eBay and uh, called it Heck to the Future. So they shipped it around <laughs> the US and people were building weird things into it. So if you search on YouTube for DeLorean flamethrower, yeah. you can see the car that is actually now in my garage. What? Throwing flames. But because people yeah. actually build it in. They built the switches in and the tanks for the, for, the, for the lighter fluid. So they modified that car quite a bit. But the first hackathon was here in Seattle and I took some pictures with it and I'm like, hey, that's cool. And then the year went by, it was in January. So the year went by uh -huh. the marketing was over uh -huh. and um like typical startups they needed cash so uh -huh. what do you do well we don't really need the delorean and uh, it had a lot of mechanical issues as well so he said well i'm i mean you to sell it i said well adam why don't we talk apparently i 
might want one. And he said, no, 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 no. You're a very good friend. I'm not selling you this car. It's falling apart all the time. <laughs> um, but um, so I was bugging him long enough. And then uh, the only car repair shop for DeLoreans north of California was at that time in Bellevue. Mm-hmm. Toby uh, Peterson runs it. He's like a former Boeing mechanic and he has these cars since the 80s. He loves them. So we went there and basically said, okay, Toby, in case I would buy this car, what's the list of stuff that needs to be done? So he came up with this big long list of the essentials. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I know exactly what I was getting into. So I bought the car and Toby started to fix stuff. And uh, (laughs) now I have a DeLorean and it's... Really good shape. So, so mm-hmm. it's it's uh, street legal, street drivable, everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow, it's okay. uh, I take it to car shows on a regular basis oh, when man, I have time and I'm so town. Awesome. It's I gotta see it now. so much fun. It's oh, so much fun. Guess now you're yeah. doing a trip out east. It's like a dream mm-hmm. come true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that make people people smile. So wherever yeah. you are, people come and they smile. And it's for me when I walk into the garage in the morning and I will see it there. I'm like, hey, I got to smile. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. Do you have a name yeah. for it? <laughs> Felt like, hey, Diane, or no, no, no. Like, it has. Of, of, I mean, of course, it has a vanity plate, right? Uh, oh, oh. To future. To so, future. Nice. <laughs> so. Well, full disclosure. So, I mean, uh, so you are German. Um, you moved here, I think you said, in like 2000, 2000 2001? Uh, into the U.S., the winter yeah. of 98, 99, to oh, Boise, okay. Idaho. Ooh, oh, why? Yeah. Uh-huh. Because that's where Hewlett Packard's headquarters for the printing business was. Oh, wow. And I was <laughs> managing right. their global enterprise printing solutions business. Oh, nice. Idaho. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh. Idaho. Yeah, the, <laughs> like famous potatoes, and it's on mm. their license plate. Mm. Uh, and I tried, dis- yeah. Full disclosure, I mean, so um, so I do have a German vehicle. Oh. <laughs> it's also semi-iconic. Oh. So it was in the Transporter, so uh-huh. Jason Stratham's 7, seven Series. Ooh, okay. So then, yeah. uh, and then also it was a Bond car. Mm-hmm. And so I got a 740i. And so, I mean, it's not really... That's 2000 or... 2001. 2001. Yeah, okay, yeah the that's the last great. production year yes, yeah. of Before, that before the Bengal body came style. up. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Yep. And they pulled it all completely apart and built it all from the well, ground. I had some help. I had some with, help from With a, a wow. dear friend, BMW EJ. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Built the entire thing. So, like, they took two cars. One was black and one was all tan interior. Uh-huh. And then now Day has a black and tan interior. Like, they picked and chose mm-hmm. different parts out of it. But what I love about it, so it's a 2001, yeah. uh-huh. now it's 2020, mm-hmm. but you get inside the car and it is just so well designed. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, BMW had been making cars for decades and decades or mm-hmm. like 100 years before yeah. that came out. But the fact that that design mm-hmm. is just so timeless, mm-hmm. you know, yes. and all the kind of ergonomic features that mm-hmm. you see in modern cars, mm-hmm. it's already there yeah. in 2001 in that mm-hmm. car. Best seat warmers ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, best mm-hmm. seat warmers yes. ever, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I just can't, I just can't uh, like stand the idea of giving up that car. And so even though I want to drive mm-hmm. it less because of the wear and tear, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I want to do what I can mm-hmm. to control the service and maintenance mm-hmm. costs yeah. but be able to keep the car for hopefully mm-hmm. forever yeah no yeah. Uh, if there's a there was also bmw did these shorts um called i think the the follow i think 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love those. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. And I think there's the one with the with that year, I think, as well. Yeah, so that's right. That's right. It's packed style. away someplace. But yes. uh, yeah. Well, a lot of probably can still find them area. on YouTube somewhere. So but yes. Yeah, that too. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're in the cloud world now, so it's all there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. <laughs> no, but any those other, are great cars. Any yes. other questions about cars, Ari? I know you love cars. <laughs> and you want us to have more cars in our household. Today would like more and more of the oldest cars you can find. If it was born in the 80s or 90s even better mm. yay <laughs> we're great years yes the great 80s years. were great years mm-hmm. yes especially mm. for cars <laughs> and music oh yeah music, music, fashion music. don't forget the fashion oh god the fashion yeah. <laughs> oh yeah yeah turquoise and pink shirts I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Mm. exactly yeah mm-hmm. tight so, rolls so yeah. then you landed in boise and then mm-hmm. eventually you made your way to seattle yeah. and microsoft mm-hmm. yeah microsoft headhunted yeah. me in 2001 okay uh, came so you there for about 10 years i was at microsoft for 10 years oh yes oh, yeah, yeah nearly 10 years yes okay that, was that the Balmer era or mm-hmm. the Gates and Balmer era? No, Gates had just, uh, Balmer had taken over as the CEO. Yeah. Okay. Gates was still, of course, very, very present. Yeah. And, um, hey, you started around when I started. Oh. 2002 is when I started oh. uh, at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And the stock price wasn't that great. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> they, I, tra- I turned HP shares into Microsoft shares, and or no. the options at least at that time. And yeah. I finally left in like 2004. <laughs> mm-hmm. Five and mm-hmm. I, sl- I got rid of all my shares and now yeah. in hindsight I'm like oh I kept them all these yeah. years the good stocks you want to keep forever basically mm-hmm. yeah. yeah oops yeah. no they did so yeah surprising I mean between Satya and Amy Hood and uh, mm-hmm. they did a really really good job I think over the last years but hey yeah. so did you hear the theory on Pathwise leadership and Satya what do you think like the idea that Pathwise had already been priming the leadership for 10 years at least mm-hmm. before Satya took power. And then he came in with this whole, you know, growth mindset, mm-hmm. mindfulness. I mean, I have no, of course, I have no idea if it's true or not, but I like it. It's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> That's my, my theory. No, yeah. no. But, and it has been a good company. I mean, I've worked there for nearly 10 years. I've met some really, really interesting people. I've learned so much during those years. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the reasons why I took the job of Microsoft was doing the interviews in 2001. Mm-hmm. I, the, like even the mid-level managers, they asked me questions that were harder, that my top executives at HP didn't ask me. So I said, well, if I want to learn something, this ah. is probably the place I want to be. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. They were pretty legendary for mm. a long while for the gauntlet of interviewing mm-hmm. that you had to get through. Yeah. And mm-hmm. especially, I think, uh, devs had mm. a, a hard time, you know, with very, very, <laughs> very difficult tests. Yeah. Part, yeah, I mean, that's for sure. But it was also, I think, some of this, I was in, a, in this interesting role between technology, business, legal, so this um, just after the consent decree. And one of, working very closely with the top executives. And one of the things they tested for is, can you say, I don't know? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm. I realized it only afterwards because there was, at one point in time, I got all these technical questions. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But it was basically part of the test was to figuring out if somebody asks you something that you don't know, don't make something up. Yeah, seriously. And then go figure out what's going on, what's really going on. Right, that right. Was, mm-hmm. That helped quite a bit. And I had a good time. I was, yeah, interesting, interesting people. Wow. Interesting experiences, a lot of good stories. Mostly in Redmond? Uh, all, yeah, I mean, I, I worked all the time in Redmond, yes, in yeah. the main campus. Um, I know they tore the buildings down. Most of the buildings are... For, uh, oh, that's uh, right. Re- like they're refreshing in, a lot of the buildings yeah, on yeah, campus yeah. now. Building 27, yeah. building <gasps> 9, building 8. There, I mean, all there. of the things are not there anymore. 31, 34. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, that's yeah. one big. You didn't know about that? Mm-hmm. I haven't been on campus yeah. in so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. like they are all gone. It's like one big construction site now. Really it's interesting. Like, uh, hmm. Yeah, no, it's just Memories. But I traveled a lot. I mean, as I said, <laughs> I got to. I mean, one of the things we did was uh, developing a program. Like, uh, Microsoft was filing for 400 patents a year, oh, and right. we were in this uh, like play game of cards with IBM who had like 5,000 a year. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out what do we do. Yeah. And we we developed a pro- basically an education program uh, for telling engineers how easy it is to file patents. Mm-hmm. And then we traveled around the world, literally in the beginning, uh, got the engineers in the cafeteria, talked to them for 90 minutes and <laughs> told them, this is what it is. And by the way, if you file a patent, there's also a financial reward for you. <laughs> and we got the company from four, 400 to 5,000 pa- uh, patent filings a year. Um, by, <laughs> and it was, I mean, that's why I went to like Hyderabad and Beijing and Vetbeck in Denmark. Oh, and, wow. And it was, it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Well, so you've been, you've traveled quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You're not from the United States originally, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you continue to travel quite a bit. Yeah. Um, do you have any like observations that you can share around what the American viewpoint might be versus the rest of the world? Like some funny or maybe just like interesting observations that you can share to someone who hasn't been traveling for quite, you know, at least a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not even sure where to start. I think uh, one, one thing I realized, like even while I was at Microsoft is if you are on campus for a while, you start to get a tunnel vision. So you don't see what's happening around you. Right. Um, like the whole smartphone thing. I was in Japan. You go in the, in a, uh, on a subway in, in, in Japan and everybody had their phones and they do cool things on it. And when you come back to the US, it was flip phones. So um, so this whole concept of your phone can do more than just being a phone or a texting thing um, was already in main for years in countries like Japan, completely prevalent. And you, mm-hmm. If you actually stepped into a subway, you you couldn't miss it. Mm-hmm. But if you're just being on the Microsoft campus in Redmond, you wouldn't have never even thought about it. And mm-hmm. of course, like, um, the, so cultural awareness is, is really important. I mean, like we talked about going back to cars. One of the reasons why German cars are as great as they are have had at least for a long time horrible cup holders because <laughs> driving in Germany is very, very different. Yeah. Like we talked about cruise control. The concept of cruise control or a cup holder is for a German driver and therefore a German engineer mm. completely foreign. You drive actively, so you have both hands on your steering wheel and one sometimes you switch the gear, oh. you look at all the mirrors all the time, you're changing speed all the time. Um, there is no time for having a coffee or <laughs> I mean, even cruise control you switch it on but like two, uh, 30 seconds later you need to change temper- uh, right, uh, right. speed anyway so if you are in a specific culture you live and you think in that culture the right. moment you're stepping out and you're aware you yeah. take some time to observe what's happening um, you see so many interesting perspectives that can that can help uh, right, right. And, and understanding that world better but then also your own worlds and you see opportunities that might other people don't see yeah, yeah. or dangers. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I love the one of my favorite, so I'll give you two of my favorite jokes mm-hmm. about BMWs right now. <laughs> 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 I love these jokes. So one is, um, let's see, if it doesn't have a broken cup holder, it's not a real BMW. <laughs> <laughs> and the other yeah. is about, mm-hmm. um, let's see, uh, what's the difference between porcupines and BMWs? 
So on a BMW, the pricks are on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that because you can interchange BMW with Porsche Mm -hmm. and Mercedes Benz, you know, any of those cars, you know. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh and and you said you're having a BMW, right? You have a yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, I always imagine that if I'm in a hurry Mm -hmm. in that car then I'm automatically being cursed, you know, by, you know, drivers around me. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, if I was in a different car doing the same driving behavior, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe, you know, no second thought would be given, you Mm -hmm. know, towards me, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe, maybe we drive differently. I mean, I have, uh, we have a BMW as well. and Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's different how people treat you on the road, or maybe it's about, the way you're driving as well. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that subconscious stuff. That, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I have a question. Sure. So, like, you've so you've talked about perspectives around the world, and um, traveling is good for mm-hmm. your own soul, and mm-hmm. also you know for your own creativity. Yeah. As a way to put it, but what about in within the United States? So you landed in Idaho, mm-hmm. and here you are, you know, in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, observations. Well, first, Idaho is like uh, the most cultural advanced city probably in Idaho. Uh, Boise. The, really? Uh, in Idaho, yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, people say, well, it's the only city between Salt Lake City and Portland. So if they have a concert on the weekend in Portland and the next weekend in in, 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 uh, in, in Utah yeah. in Salt Lake City, you usually have like a midweek stop in Boise. So there's oh. actually some stuff going on. The... Um, they have a great Shakespeare festival in the summer, so I really oh. enjoyed that. Oh. Um, the outdoors are fantastic. Oh. But um, as you, I think, I mean, I'm born and raised in Germany, so a blonde blue eyes. I usually said, as long as I didn't open my mouth, I fit right in. <laughs> Nobody would notice that I'm foreign. Hey boy, <laughs> but the accent then gave it away. Yeah. You don't talk right, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's, definite, there's definitely, definitely differences in, in different places, but. Um, you find, I mean, the one thing people often ask me, which, which place in your travels did you like best? And I said, well, there's definitely places I don't want to live forever. But if you spend some time, you get to know people, you look around a little bit. There's so many interesting things to discover. Um, I mean, last year was the first time in my life I was in Inner Mongolia, which is part of China, but it's like northern northern China. Like, and they... On one side, I mean, like, the landscape looks like Genghis Khan runs through it, but you have also... Thousands, I mean, literally thousands of electric windmills that are generating power there. Yeah. Um, oh, very cool. How, and how fast things can happen. So we what uh, we saw the new data center for Apple that is built there, and I said, well, from what? the decision to build this data center to being live is twelve months. Mm-hmm. So uh, in other places of the world, it might take three, four, five years yeah. until you oh. have something built. So it's it's interesting. Oh. Um, but yeah, anywhere from if it's look in Peru or. Like even as I said, different areas of the U.S., you find you find a lot of hidden treasures. I think if you spend the time, if you take the time to smell the roses, <laughs> take the time to smell the roses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of renewable energy mm-hmm. and windmills and and that sort of thing, so uh, what is your what is your I guess conversation uh, to people who uh, have the belief that. Uh, uh, blockchains and Bitcoin chew up a crazy amount of energy. Yeah, that misconception. Or, well, or I mean, it, it is. is it so it, it does. First of all, blockchain and Bitcoin two different. Uh, true, true. Two different things. But Bitcoin is 
um, the only way of turning energy into money, into value. So everything else, you have to you can create energy, but you have to transport it somewhere and then somebody else does something with it. Um, and in a lot of parts of the world, the creation of energy is actually relatively simple. You put a you put a dam in there, you put some uh, solar cells out there, but then it, what do you do with that energy? And how do you bring actually value to the population that mm -hmm. is living in that specific area right. um, if there's no industry, if right. there's uh, no transport for that energy? So turning it into basically Bitcoin, uh, the backbone of a global value system, um, verifying that that system exists might actually make perfect sense. And right. And purely economical, it doesn't make lots like the the Bitcoiner need the Bitcoin miners need the cheapest energy possible. Exactly, um, it's part of the part of the game theory. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. And it's all it's ex usually excess energy that otherwise wouldn't be used or um, right. And it's it's yeah. It, it's mm -hmm. like uh, it's like photons, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think in I don't know hundreds of years ago, scientists mm -hmm. maybe, maybe just one scientist was trying to figure out what is light mm -hmm. and then eventually decided or eventually concluded it's actually not like any other form of energy mm -hmm. and you know i'm going to call it a photon mm -hmm. right and then that's what powers fiber optic networks today mm -hmm. and we have gigabit ethernet in our home mm -hmm. and stuff like that yeah. but basically you know it, it it's that transformation of energy which would normally go nowhere mm -hmm. or, or just be wasted, mm -hmm. uh, you can actually turn that into value now. Yeah. 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 And, and it's f for areas often that otherwise did not have the mm -hmm. opportunity to participate in the mm -hmm. global value creation. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Creating a, yeah. So then, uh, you know, if you t look at the, uh, the big Bitcoin influencers out there, like the Anthony Pompliano's or 100 trillion. These guys are predicting Bitcoin will be like $100,000 or like $250,000 a coin mm -hmm. in like 2021 or 2022. Do you buy that? <laughs> do I buy Bitcoin or do I buy that argument? Do you buy that argument? <laughs> well, first of all, I think we're not doing financial advice here. So no, it's for not nobody. financial advice at all. We do not do financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so... Often friends asked me, and I said, yeah. you know, um, if you really understand Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist, I believe there's a lot of other technology things, just to be clear, mm -hmm. but I think Bitcoin has a very special place in the global system um, and will have a very special place. So I think there's only two ways. I mean, there's only two ways. Either it goes to zero because something breaks and the system falls apart and quantum computing comes and encryption gets broken. Who knows what is going on? So either it's going to be zero or it will be multiples of what it is today. Is it going to be two hundred fifty thousand dollars in twenty twenty two? Who knows? But actually, who cares? Um, it's. I think it's the infrastructure of trust on a global level, independent from specific jurisdictions, mm -hmm. but allowing collaboration between people and organizations mm -hmm. um, that will change the world. Um, that creates opportunities i think in places where we have and areas where we haven't even thought about today and yeah will it reflect in the bitcoin price itself sure it's a scar it's a it's a scare as a scarce asset scarce asset thank you very much like deloreans yes like deloreans um and um, as long as there's as as the, so the demand will very likely go up and uh, so the price will go up it's very very likely very 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 likely, very likely. Yes. 
I mean, apparently collector mm-hmm. cars have mm-hmm. also had a massive amount of appreciation in val- dollar value mm-hmm. over the last 10, 20 years. That's because not just inflation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. It's like, where does inflation really happen? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, but, but it is a tangible, mm-hmm. ta- very, very tangible, real asset mm-hmm. that people understand. Mm-hmm. Cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And if there's only, you know... A thousand DeLoreans in the mm-hmm. world, or only two hundred of these specific Ferraris in the world, mm-hmm. of course they're going to be more valuable, yeah. you know, than than you know, ten million Toyotas. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah right. No, yeah. Well, and there's only a, one of me, but does that yeah. mean I'm more valuable? It depends on de- valuable. demand, right? <laughs> 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 there can be only two hundred Ferraris, but if no one wants them, then yeah, it's a, it's a question of demand, right? If you yeah. ask, if nobody needs uh, or for whatever reasons, can't use a combustion engine car anymore, and you only can put them in museums. I don't know what that does to the price of a collector car, right? Yeah. right? But so on this topic, um, because you're German, um, okay. I, I really and American F two passports. Just to be clear, oh, okay, just right. to be clear. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. actually thinking of uh, mm-hmm. trying to get a uh, South Korean passport too, but uh, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be too too much work. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, so <laughs> let's see here. In school, what did they teach you guys about the Deutsche Mark and the hyperinflation that happened, you know, in that era? I don't oh. know. I'm so mm-hmm. ignorant. I'm mm-hmm. so vastly ignorant. I don't even know exactly when it was. Mm-hmm. And so if you could just kind of give a high level, like what do they teach about in school uh, nowadays? Um, well, first of all, I'm a little bit older, so I haven't been in school for a while. <laughs> oh, that's true. Especially not in Germany. But um, the... Education of history, um, I think, at least during my school time, has been has been a very very strong focus. I mean, of course, growing up in the l- second part of the nineteenth century uh, of the twentieth century, yeah. um, the history, especially Germany, of the first part of the century, was extremely important to understand why what happened and why does it happen. And inflation, or sorry, the the money policy um, before the nineteen thirties was one of the key topics. It was you had the cultural understanding of coming from a from a society that was living focusing very much on strong leadership based on the emperor before that mm-hmm. so the the strong dad very strong patriotical society um, and that all fell apart after the first world war when you started to have this democratic system and the social democrats that are trying to bring um, voting rights to mm. everybody and people are treated differently uh, equally and then you had the communists happening in the, in the Soviet Union at the same time so there's all this turmoil happening globally and then um, the, in the 20s basically the US government uh, sorry not the US the German government at that time um, after the Treaty of Versailles they lost a lot of the resources and what they realized is like if they tr- print a little bit more money they can buy more things mm-hmm. so um, and that worked for about 10 years I mean the whole thing took about 10 years from uh, printing more money until the people realized that if they get money in the morning it's worth less in the <sighs> evening so you're trying to start to get out of the paper money into yeah. other assets yeah. and then you pay, it's accelerating yeah. Heavier because people spend even faster and buy try to get it into things that are, um, yeah, something that'll hold value. That'll hold Store value. value. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a, there's like I think in the 1980s in uh, in in Argentina, um, people bought stereo equipment because that was the only thing they could actually get their hand on and that held value versus yeah. the local currency. So people try to get out of the moment the people lose trust in the currency, they're trying to get out of it and trying to get into other assets. Right. And yeah, so that was. 
apparently, I forgot which call it was. They're all melding together now, but mm-hmm. apparently the world reserve currency changes hands about every 80 to 100 years. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens we're living here at a time where about 100 years into the U.S. dollar being mm-hmm. the world reserve currency. And so there's these predictions of, you know, you know, you know where I'm oh, going. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, what's going to take the place of the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency? And uh, Any predictions? I don't think that the U.S. <laughs> is going to easily give that up. No. Uh, it's also been called the petrodollar because oil, you know, uh, is an extremely valuable commodity. Mm-hmm. Without energy, uh, cities and countries basically collapse. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> I know we're getting into heavy topic here. <laughs> no, I think up to, up, to, up to a degree, it's already happening. I mean, most people don't realize it, especially if you live within a within a, a specific system, you don't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like, I've been like I've been in Davos the last few years, mm-hmm. and while the Swiss franc price hasn't changed mm-hmm. of the goods there. By now, it's 25% more expensive for me to be in Switzerland than it was three years ago. Mm. So the U.S. dollar versus what you can buy in Switzerland today has gone down by, I would say, 25 to 30% of the buying power already. And that's in three years. But here, well, you might, if you go to Costco, you probably start to see it. Uh, if you if you go to Starbucks, <laughs> you see that your latte gets more and more expensive. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. It, you know, it's it's the safety and the dominance of the U.S. dollar in the world mm-hmm. that um, that us. makes people blind. Yeah, especially yeah. the U.S. first world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not supposed to say first world. I think you're supposed to say developed countries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're just too cushioned from the economic turmoil of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bad policy and mm-hmm. bad leadership of mm-hmm. other countries that ruins their currency. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, it's like average Americans don't see it, you know, and so... But yeah. we, we should be feeling it. I mean, even if you look at home prices, right? Mm-hmm. Something that was, was once, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars selling, selling for five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And that's why we have the housing squeeze going on right now, right? Yeah. But Shut look, up. I mean, look, go to the supermarket and see how much avocados cost now versus oh, two years yeah, ago, like three or bucks, three dollars for one, yes, yeah, so. or even one of those Asian pears. Mm-hmm. I was like three ninety nine for one Asian pear. I think um. that's just crazy. <laughs> uh, I often it's like I try to explain this to people. It's like if you live in a country, you don't necessarily see it. So if you like the Turkish lira has devaluated dramatically versus the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, success. Um, but if you are in Turkey, the house you lived in, I don't know about the, is, that, is basically within Turkish lira, it's the same price that it was five years ago, more or less, mm-hmm. maybe a couple percent up or down. But mm-hmm. within the Turkish lira, it's the same price, more or less the same price. But for you, looking at it from a U.S. and a U.S. dollar perspective, this the house is now one third of the value it was 15 years ago. Oh, man. Yeah, our old pairs from uh, Turkey. Mm-hmm. And uh, she talks about her experiences in Turkey. She says... Uh, like she came back from a shopping trip once and she was like, Ari, I bought this coat. It was fifty dollars. In Turkey, this would have been at least three, four hundred Turkey dollars. It's mm-hmm. it's just not possible for me to obtain this sort of stuff anymore. We can't go mm-hmm. shopping anymore because nothing's attainable. Yeah. You can't go shopping. Well, the other like, way that the economy um, got wrecked is um, businesses' jobs. Yeah. So businesses going under mm-hmm. and then yeah. jobs just disappearing. Yeah. yeah. And then you have a whole bunch of people unemployed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. 
And she's like, I'm a civil engineer. I have a mm-hmm. four-year degree, engineering degree. I can't get a job. She's like, even if you work hard as mm-hmm. a country and mm-hmm. your people work hard, there's no jobs for us. Yeah. And she's like, America, you guys still have jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> still. Still. Yes. Yeah. I think there's, there's an I don't want to sound too pessimistic now. We are definitely living in times of change. Um, Do you think you're going to move? Which <laughs> <laughs> I get that question since I'm here. So I, how likely is it you're going back to the to Germany at one point? So well, it's as likely they go to Australia or New Zealand or Singapore or something. Who knows? I mean, we are living in a global environment now. Mm-hmm. Um, and turning the curfew back to blockchain, uh, the whole legislative environment, it's nearly impossible for, an entre- for, for a young company to found here in the state of Washington or in other U.S. states right now because just the legal costs are so extremely high to have a chance of being compliant. Um, So we have companies that are basically sitting in Singapore, for example, or in Armenia or somewhere, Berlin. So there's all Switzerland. There's all kinds of different uh, Mm -hmm. uh, places now that are making it easier for people to be compliant. It's not like trying to avoid the law, but it's just trying to figure out what the regulations are and and following it. And uh, I've said we in the U.S., but I'm a a U.S. citizen. I feel like this is my country. And we have often we, we lose the sometimes we lose the eye. Uh, on the ball, I think that's the right idiom we're using. Um, I mean, like when I grew up, co- telecommunication was a monopoly in Germany. Mm-hmm. So calling into the US was like the equivalent of $4 a minute or something. Whoa. I mean, it was extremely expensive. And Whoa. you could not, you had a choice, like the, the choice of telephone device in your house was basically like you want a green one or the beige one. <laughs> so that was, right. that was it because a monopoly supplier. US prices were a fraction of that. Yeah. But if you travel around the world right now, um, mobile phone bills, unlimited data, mm-hmm. it's extremely cheap nearly everywhere mm. except in the US. Really? <laughs> yes. It's as so the prices we pay here are oh by now three, four times more expensive than you would pay in Germany, Switzerland, probably ten times as much as in Cambodia, for example, or Thailand mm-hmm. or Singapore. Right. Yeah, uh, it, we are paying here multiples of mm. what you would pay for the same kind of service in other countries. Mm. That's disappointing. <laughs> That's very disappointing. Yeah. Hey, T-Mobile, AT&T, mm-hmm. Verizon, Sprint. Sprint. Yeah. What else is there? Uh, yeah, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. You travel a lot, and um, you're also a parent. Mm-hmm. How? D- I don't know. Do you? I feel mom guilt when mm-hmm. I travel or I'm away from my little ones, especially when it comes to bedtime. Mm-hmm. I like to smell them, you know, the smell mm-hmm. the little ones as they go to bed. Mm-hmm. How do you? How does that? How do you do that? How does that feel? Um, how do you stay close to the family? Oh, well, first of all, I'm very, very fortunate to have the family. So they are. Right. I mean, they're fantastic. A lot of the things are possible because my wife and I have a relationship that allows me to do these things and give her the environment um, to be there for the kids and me also to go on trips from time to time but Mm -hmm. it also goes both ways so I just came back from Switzerland and Mm -hmm. uh, she traveled for two weeks to take care of her family so that's and then I'm have hey two two uninterrupted weeks where I make sure the kids go not only to school but do their karate classes and go to piano lessons and drive them around and uh, and it's it's precious I mean I love to have the time with them and it's great and then um, I'll 
when I travel, I like to take wherever I can. I take the family with me, so mm. it doesn't work all oh, the time. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah. yeah. But um, I had like this year, I took my oldest son to Davos. Last mm. year, my oldest daughter was in Davos at a youth camp at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, in last year, I was at a conference in Portugal, and my wife and the two younger kids were with me, and we spent some extra time in Portugal. So it's really combining. If if you have the flexibility of combining these things, or you make the flexibility. I don't mm-hmm. think it's really having things. I think you can arrange a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, makes you can create experiences, a lot of experiences. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, we we tried that uh, ourselves, trying to take family with us on mm-hmm. trips, you know, to like the uh, Bitcoin blockchain digital assets conferences. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, I don't know. We for us, we've decided that it's too hard. You know, especially with the little kids mm-hmm. that we have, um, very little, just very, yeah. very, yeah. very yeah. little. It's difficult. <laughs> it's it's hard. That yeah. is yeah. really really hard. I mean, we've tra- I've traveled with kids in all ages. I was yeah. just looking at some old pictures when our youngest was born. She was like nine months, and we spent like two weeks, uh, two months in in Italy. Oh, um, and it was it was that worked out okay, but it's um, not uh, something like tra- getting on a plane and traveling from A to B that doesn't work. But when they get old. Um, age-appropriate opportunities. I mean, my 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 oldest one is, my oldest daughter is now seventeen. I mean, I took her to Korea. The two of us were heading over to Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe like four years ago, mm-hmm. uh, World Computing Conference, I think. And um, again, like you spend time. You, That's awesome. You can trust them that they don't run away for during those times. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, even my youngest one, I took her to 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 Germany. I had some business things and some other things going on. And then you travel with her over, had some friends and you, you family and. So I can go and do like five hours of meetings, and mm-hmm. she has time with her grandma, for example. Right. right so right. let's talk about Davos. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something that, of course, I've seen in the financial news a ton. Mm-hmm. You see it in the general news, you know, a ton every year when it comes around. But I guess for the layperson who's not in technology or finance mm-hmm. or politics or just not really paying attention to that world. Um, like, how would you describe what happens at Davos? So, one of the things I had no idea until I went there the first time. There's um, a whole ecosystem of events that is mm-hmm. going around the actual World Economic Forum. So, the uh, the Davos, Davos, by the way, that's the the Swiss always say it's Davos. Davos. <laughs> Davos. It's like a Oh, like a cigar-shaped village and somewhere in the middle is the conference center <laughs> and then there's a street that goes through the whole thing because it's a valley like it's in the middle of high mountains all around one entrance one exit basically on both sides <laughs> and the actual conference center is what you see on tv that's where the presidents show up or the prime ministers show up um uh, the whole but the whole city it's a small city like 10,000 people or something. It's oh, wow, very it's tiny. Yeah, it's tiny. It's uh, yeah. it's it's uh, very locked down during that time. Okay. And most people walk because you can't really drive anywhere because <laughs> when the president's limousine goes from A to B, the whole traffic gets shut down and yeah. you can't go anywhere. So everybody walks. So you've walked to the street. It's usually basically it's one main road called the promenade. Mm-hmm. And from to, to go to different places. So you run into the 
president, like the prime minister, was it, the president of India on one side and the mm. Russian minister of communication on the other side. And you just pass by, like I met the, the CEO of the Intercontinental Hotel Group at one, it's like you, mm. you meet people just because everybody walks around. Mm. And why do they walk around? Because the whole promenade, this whole street is turned into an exhibition center. Mm. Or more, um, to imagine like there's usually like it's a small city that has clothes shops and bakeries and pizza shops and uh, bookstores and all kinds of things. But for this one week, companies come in and take over the actual shop. What? So they go in, remove the whole bookstore, huh? put an Accenture decor outside, and now it's oh, the Accenture wow. lounge what? or the Salesforce lounge. Facebook builds a whole pavilion. It's like, this is the Facebook pavilion. They do demos. They do networking. You have oh, coffee. Wow. Um, and uh, they do events in those spaces. So uh, consulting companies like do morning discussion at 7 o'clock in the morning with uh, was it, the CEOs of uh, Coca-Cola, Unilever, uh, and Black and & Decker and discussing stakeholder in the modern society. Well, how do we have to think about it? Not only shareholders, but it's, that's so yesterday. How do we think about the responsibility and for the planet and for our employees and for society and have those, and it starts at seven o'clock in the morning and basically the last events end up two, three in the morning. Wow. So you mentioned an organization mm -hmm. that most people probably are completely unaware of because mm -hmm. all the name brand companies you named off, household mm -hmm. names, everybody mm -hmm. knows them, but this World Economic Forum, mm -hmm. like what is actually the World Economic Forum? I guess it's, mm -hmm. is it headquartered in Davos? Is it's, the reason why it's there? No, it's in Switzerland. So oh, it's, it's, Switzerland. A, it's a gentleman, uh, Klaus Schwab, who basically founded this in the, about 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. was okay. the 50 years uh, and said, well, it would be good to think about world problems and just try to figure out like when to have people time to actually think about what's what's going on in the world and share ideas between scientists art uh, artists social um impact people and bring them all together with people that actually make decisions and have the budget to actually make real decisions so he mm. created this world economic forum as an organization oh. um, that is doing research um, okay. very much on uh, it's called it's these days it's called, uh, around sustainability goals mm -hmm. um, right that are quite a diverse range of topics now, really looking at all the key challenges I think humanity faces. And um, the ev event that ended up in Davos over the over the years um, is, is really focusing on those areas. So we have mm -hmm. access at the same time, to the same place to Nobel Prize winners, to... Um, I mean, um, to, to climate uh, researchers. So, I mean, there's, they built like these climate Arctic tents up there on the mountain. And uh, <laughs> I've met the lady who's running this now for the three years in a row and uh, really educating people um, of what's happening. What are the real numbers look like? Um, you have a lot of journalists there um, that have unprecedented access, I think, as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's accelerating conversations enormously. So, I've, I mean, of oh, course, there's all these things as it's the global elite, blah, blah, blah. But at the end, I mean, who can make an impact? People yeah, can yeah. make decisions and um, for themselves. And if you have good information, usually you have a chance of making better decisions. Mm -hmm. hmm. Interesting. How long have you been going now? Uh, this was my third year. Third year? Okay. Yeah. And you, do you see yourself continuing to yeah, attend? Yeah, I think it's, I okay. came back this year, and I, every year was more 
better than because you know what you're doing and where to oh, go and yeah. you know um, because there's so many things happening at the same time like it's like my for those for that week my schedule is like I could every hour I could be at three or four different places yeah. and it's all interesting I mean it's, it's all like ultimate, super interesting things it's ultimate FOMO <laughs> yes it is <laughs> it really, abs- yes that's that's a good one that's a good one and so another um, way to describe it might be like yeah. uh, Burning Man except yeah, it's yeah. for uh, yeah. a different <laughs> level <laughs> I mean I have to I have to quote my son my son called it Disneyland for BV, uh, for, for MBAs but uh, <laughs> so it's, and there's probably something on that as well but uh, no it's, it's 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 interesting. I came home this year and I was like, okay, I'm looking at my schedule for the for the year. Are there really other events I need to go to globally? And mm. very very few, very mm-hmm. very few things. I said, you do this. You spent this one week there. There was another conference a week before that was focusing on crypto mostly, and, and one valley over in St. Moritz. But between those two events, I have to say it was really meet nearly everybody you want to meet and talk to and uh, catching up and it was the the one uh, I guess little media story that got covered um, that I happened to catch Mm -hmm. uh, is the story of all the private jets Mm -hmm. so so where do you keep your private jet and (laughs) How often do you take it out? Just, Just for the record, Just no, I do. My DeLorean doesn't fly. <laughs> it travels through time, but it doesn't fly. Yeah. <laughs> Darn. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. As I said, I, I like the blockchain space, but I, a lot of the people I spend most of my time with have n- no technology background on definitely no blockchain background. So the questions mm. they asked were over and over the same thing. So I got... Uh, um, Phil Klein, who had organized TEDx many years ago, and we know is a good writer, so we joined up in 2018 and basically utilized all the speeches I had given, the transcripts um, I had created for Rutgers University. I had a, I created a Coursera class on new technologies and the impact on business. So we took all of that content and basically turned it into a readable Book, book, yeah. That uh, then the Gary Shapiro, who's organizing CS every year, so he's the head of CS, um, highlighted in his book club in 2019 and said, "That's the one book for around blockchain and how it's changing the world. You have to read called the Trust Technology." Um, we are actually looking at it right now because, as you said, everything is changing so fast. Mm-hmm. So, what do we do with the second edition? Should we? What are the things that need to be updated? Um, stable coins, of course, we mentioned briefly, but a year later, things have changed a lot. Oh, yeah, a so there is definitely, there's definitely an update. I would say it's still a really good book as far as I'm hearing to read, mm-hmm. but it could add uh, some some topics that I think we should add and uh, some re-editing probably as well. Mm-hmm. Because the first time we just try to get it done as quickly as possible and get the content <laughs> in the hand of people. So, but right, yes, right. so I'm actually rereading mm-hmm. right now Inventing Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I forget, I don't know, I think it's Pritzker, Janos mm-hmm. Pritzker, I want to say, is the uh, author's yeah. name. But reading it the second time through, mm-hmm. much easier, much mm-hmm. faster. Yeah. Uh, first time through, it was, it was pretty tedious, mm-hmm. you know, because he basically goes through the entire thought process of figuring out all the features of inventing, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it takes a little, I mean, I, and I have a technical background mm-hmm. and it still took a little bit to absorb it. Yeah. Second time around though, it's like, woo, 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 woo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, there's, there, there is a hurdle to overcome. I think when Virgilio Lizardo from, uh, who's now at Gate.io, when I met him in Shenzhen, he said, okay, so I give you like 
the couple of hours of what it is, but you before I talk to you again, you have to read the Satoshi White paper first. You have to make sure you have it fully understood, <laughs> and then we keep talking. So I said, yeah, right, right. <laughs> right, exactly. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, so you didn't mention stable coins for a second there. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, do you have a? Um, I don't know. Do you have a? What's the right word? Favorite stable coin? No, 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 not like that. Like, do you have a nuanced kind of uh, opinion of stable coins then versus now, and maybe conjecturing into the future? I mean, in 2018, when we wrote the book originally, stable coins were just at an infancy. I mean, one of the projects I'm following forward is the MakerDAO project. Mm-hmm. Um, so we mentioned that in the book. We said this is what it is, and but it was well before Libra, for example. So. Um, mm-hmm. Well before that. I mean, I met Dante in. Davos, of course. So yeah. this year, so we had a good conversation uh, from the Libra Association, and it really helps to understand things. Right. When you have a chance to not only read the the couple of uh, paragraphs from time to time in the news, but you really. I mean, uh, do you think that uh, yeah. the stable coins will be the, I guess, um, um, gateway drug, <laughs> gateway drug into Bitcoin? I, I think mean, I think you will have some kind of uh, monetary unit where people are familiar with, and if it has a dollar sign attached to it or a, a Thai baht sign or whatever it is on the front end, it doesn't really matter as long as people f- think they're living in a in a world they understand and, the, and then it's stable, right? I mean, mm-hmm. at the end, what kind of technology is underlying? They don't really care. Most mm-hmm. most people don't really care. Um, I mean, most people don't know how the internet works. I mean, they yeah. know that mm-hmm. the smartphone responds quickly. They can type on it. They mm-hmm. can send email, text messages, yeah. talk on it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, I mean... Who really knows what the difference between TCP and UDP is? No, you know, it's like and, no one. <laughs> and if you if you make it usable, I mean, the iPhone was not the first smartphone, but it was the easiest to use. And uh, same like in China, uh, the when WeChat started, WeChat Pay, just you scan somebody else's QR code, okay, and then you're done. It's mm-hmm. easy. It's they, who cares what kind of databases in the back end are. And it's it looks like Chinese RMB on the front end, but <laughs> if it's it that it's actually a private entries in a database, who cares? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, yeah. So I think Ari mm-hmm. makes that argument too mm-hmm. about infrastructure like that, like uh, kind of like enterprise infrastructure, which is, you know, uh, you never cared before what kind of database, mm-hmm. you know, if it was SQL yeah. database, what kind of database that enterprise ran. Mm-hmm. So why do you care now if it's going to be a blockchain behind the scenes? Yeah. If um, public or private or open source mm-hmm. or, you know, like what does it matter? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't matter. No, yeah. I think you're right. Oh, my identity gets managed easier. I can buy things easier. I'm Service f- goes quicker. Perfect. Yeah. Great. Um, or have access to things I wouldn't have access to, like the Indonesian farmers that cannot buy insurance and because they only have... Uh, they can't even prove that they have their their properties theirs and what the things look like and now they can because they have access to a financial system that we take for granted but in a large part of the world is not yeah so and I think that's where we'll see a lot of the innovation happening totally agree. Um, and uh, finally I think on the positive note I mean the regulators are are seeing it I think uh, Ari you guys doing a great job here in the state of Washington I mean I know you I'm I'm one of your one of the harsher critics because it's so difficult I think difficult. in this state it has been really really hard and I partly I think the thanks attorneys it doesn't really help if uh, a startup has to pay $750,000 in legal fees just to have a chance of being compliant that's just not cool it's just not right no. uh, if the same thing costs you $30,000 in Singapore right. um, 
I mean, I was before I came here today, I was on the phone with uh, legislators from New Jersey, mm -hmm. and they are really looking at um, how they do it right, how they can create an environment and an infrastructure. Um, the commission is led by a physicist, somebody who actually mm. understands science. Yeah. It's really interesting to have that oh. conversation. Yeah, um, and so, so there's definitely people who understand it, and uh, people want to do the right thing for their communities. Um, they want to protect people, which is all all goodness. But right. it's uh, it's it's sometimes I think uh, the their interests and the interests are might be more on the legal side and on the fee side than necessarily right. on creating economic opportunities for the for the population. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What are you working on? Uh, I guess what are you working on that you would like to share with folks? Um, you know, these days it's early 2020, and uh, oh. While we're while we're on the topic of uh, Bitcoin for a little bit here, I'll go ahead and share the price of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at eighty six ninety two, eight thousand six hundred ninety two dollars on February twenty seventh, Thursday. But as far as like what what you're working on, what you're excited about, uh, what what do you have going on? Well, I mean, one of course, I'm I'm very excited about our consulting business. I haven't mentioned it. It's called EdgeTech. Uh, it's existing for ten years. I founded it. It's helping people to, uh, especially on the business side, to understand what technology can do for them. Yeah. Um, we have a great team with great consultants that are working globally with leaders in their field and helping them to be more successful in their space with their customers. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one area. But I think in the blockchain and Bitcoin space, um, I think I, we, we see phenomenal entrepreneurial spirits and ideas on a, on a global scale and being able to connect them with uh, customers, clients um, around the world makes makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've been on the advisory board of a bunch of different companies. I'm very proud to work with Coinstats, the second largest crypto tracker for now nearly two years. Um, and um, just helping our traditional friends to understand the opportunities and unlocking it for them. As you think you mentioned, like I'm the... I'm an angel investor here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, the Alliance of Angel, yes, Bill Gates' yes. father. Like group. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, Bill <laughs> Gates' father founded it uh, with um, Dan Rosen in 1997. It's probably one of the oldest ones and one of the largest U.S. angel groups, um, with the goal of helping entrepreneurs to grow. And uh, some of us have founded a group where we're basically focusing exactly on the blockchain space. It's a club i said not a, just to be very clear for all the financial regulators we didn't not there's no fund it's really just all accredited investors nearly all of them i think are also members of the aoa um, that are looking at the blockchain space and said okay what can we learn how can we educate each other how can we see opportunities and evaluate opportunities based on the backgrounds each right. of us brings brings to the table right and um and after we make a decision to supporting a team, how can we help the team to grow as efficiently right. and as effectively as possible, mm -hmm. both financially, with financial resources, but f at least as important or maybe more important is contacts and ideas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so as far as activities in Washington State, like uh, I think you're involved with Block Accelerate. So what's going on with them? Yeah, that's one of the great things I think in Washington State. We have a lot of technology innovation happening over the years, but people, by the way, outside of Washington State don't necessarily know that we have Microsoft and Amazon and Starbucks and cloud even Boeing coming at the cloud capital of the world, mm -hmm. maybe even the AI capital of the world. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and like one of the area, one of the companies here is like uh, um, 
Kate Mitchelsmacher and Sam Yilmaz was one of the original uh, Bit Angels founded Blockcelerate a couple of years ago and uh, really trying to open up the the blockchain investment opportunities but also for uh, for, for um, entrepreneurs and helping them to get to the next level and um, I've been glad to to be part of their ecosystem and help and support the blockchain so you are advising investing both uh, yes <laughs> <All right. laughs> awesome yeah, yeah. thank you <laughs> cool yeah she's she's very uh, well spoken and yeah uh, enjoy that one investment meeting mm-hmm. we went yeah too, yeah, and between Blockcelerate, Codex Three, um, we're doing a lot of deal sharing, and it's really a local community that is strong. But it's also the integration in the global community, and uh, that makes that makes things actually work quite well. Yes, totally agree. Can I you see the book? Sure, absolutely. Yep. Let's. Uh, oops. Here we go. The Trust Technology: How Blockchain Is Changing Your World. Mark Mueller, Eberstein, and Phil Klein. Awesome. Do we have a copy of this, sir? I have a I whole list of books up. on my Amazon to buy list, but I haven't been able to read for a while, and I have a pile of books growing of books I'm supposed to read. So you get in, you get in line and ask <laughs> for the Audible book because oh. I have a long list of people that are asking for that. So maybe I'll do that this summer. Audible I'll book. update the. Ver- we'll do a second edition and then we turn it Make into it an easier. Audible book. <laughs> as long as people can stand the German accent, then oh, no, who knows? Great. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in Davos right now with mm. my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Just think about the private jets. <laughs> mm. No. <laughs> no but there, there is the, on the blockchain space, there's so many blockchain events happening in Davos in parallel. Mm-hmm. So we had, for example, uh, a, there's a group called Global Dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, so Richard Branson, Desmond Tutu, they're all um, on the advisory board of helping mm-hmm. um, students to uh, globally to understand what dignity, human rights, and actually means for them mm-hmm. and what's possible for them mm-hmm. and um, somebody sponsored uh, their uh, sponsored an event for them event venue for them so last minute they needed some places and uh, we my group made sure that they had a place to sleep so we organized it for them and mm-hmm. they joined us and uh, we were able to give back to the community and allow those kind of things mm-hmm. yeah so we had uh, the global dignity project awesome. we supported that this year cool yeah was a thank you for coming in. Really appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. Got something special for you right oh, here. Oh, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Ari. Really appreciate it. Thank you very go much. Ahead, go ahead and open it, it and open it. Open it. You okay. might uh, you might have a clue if you've been listening to the podcast about what it is. But uh, always fun to do the grand opening on the show. It's a special agro check, five billion dollars. <laughs> It's an Hulk. actual $5 billion bill you are from now a Zimbabwe. <laughs> I'm a billionaire from Zimbabwe. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. It is much. a no. real note that has mm-hmm. been circulated, mm-hmm. you know, and so, uh, yeah, I, I I love the mm-hmm. ethos of, you know, uh, Plan B on Twitter, you know, um. 100 trillion USD, mm. stock-to-flow model okay. of uh, Bitcoin. But, uh, yeah, that's where I got the idea to jump on eBay mm. and pick up a whole bunch of those notes but uh, yeah, you're so, a billionaire. So now I'm a, I'm, I'm a club of the billionaires. So the, if Bloomberg and I are talking, we're both billionaires. I met Charles Simone yesterday. The billionaire was in space. So nice. I'm, I, I can join the club now. Yes. I'm a Zimbabwe billionaire. Yes, exactly. Oh. Officially. <laughs> okay, instead of being a poor professor and teacher. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much, guys. Yeah, yeah, totally. Let me really get appreciate a, it. If you don't mind, let me get a photo. Oh, no, absolutely. Here we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happens when inflation goes awry? Mm-hmm. 
Well, there's that uh, there's that um, one person, Parker Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, very prominent in at least Twitterville, yeah. where I hang out. Is uh, he has a blog that he started called "Gradually and Then Suddenly," mm-hmm. uh, and that's a perfect you know three word description about what happens with uh, currencies and fiat money mm-hmm. and uh, you know hyperinflation yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, you think things are going well, and then you know, you need a wheelbarrow to carry all the paper notes to the grocery mm-hmm. store to buy, you know, buy a loaf of bread. Yep. Crazy. Oh. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's if you look at history, if you look, people, I think Bill Gates actually even said it as well. It's like, if you think about people overestimate what's happening in the short term mm-hmm. and they underestimate what happens in the long term. So yeah. that's why I said when you asked me about the Bitcoin price, who cares where it is in six months? But I think what really important is where it is the, Bitcoin and blockchain ecosystem in six years. Yes, true, true. I've true, totally true. flipped also on, mm-hmm. on the the price, uh, the note about the price, which mm-hmm. is I don't worry as much when it goes down anymore. Mm-hmm. I worry more when it goes up mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh man, you know, what kind of questions am I going to start to get from people who mm-hmm. know me and know mm-hmm. that I'm in this? And, you know, it's like, where's it going to go? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like when it goes down, I'm more calm now because I'm so uh, I'm so comfortable with the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mark Mueller Eberstein, for joining us on Windshield Time, and thanks to our listeners out there. Uh, quick note to say thank you to our sponsor, the WTIA, the Washington Technology Industry Association. <laughs> Tongue twister. <laughs> Industry Association. Thanks to our sponsor, the WTIA, the Washington Technology Industry Association, representing over 1,100 technology companies in the Pacific Northwest. And again, thanks so much. I learned so much. My brain is a little bit like swirling right now as I sit here (laughs) uh, from this conversation, but it was really, really insightful. Thank you so much. And uh, to our listeners out there, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thank you. Together we rise. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Bye. But yeah, it's like uh, mm-hmm. some podcasts I've listened to. Yeah. It sounds like they're in a bathroom. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Those yeah. Are the worst. Mace in a closet, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Welcome to Windshield Time, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a non technical, fun, informative way to learn about money, Bitcoin blockchains, crypto, and digital assets for busy parents and working folks who are curious about these new technologies. Day, Ari, and their guests talk about these evolutionary systems of money and what they do, y'all. Because what part of your life does money not touch? This podcast is not financial advice, and your reactions are your total and complete responsibility, y'all. Now, thanks again and enjoy the show.